having a lot of fun this summer. We did an eight or nine week uh, study of Philippians, had a great time. And then we've been doing the I am's of Jesus. So there's seven different times in the Gospel of John where Jesus made a clear, definitive I am statement about who he is. And guys, whenever Jesus talks, I want to lean in, right? This isn't Antioch's ideas about Jesus. Uh, this is Jesus himself. Our culture has all kinds of ideas of who Jesus is, a prophet, a teacher, you know, a good man, a model to follow. But who did Jesus himself say is? The other reason we're talking about this is, is because um, who we are as Christians, how we see Jesus in our heart of hearts matters. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a bit today. So we're actually finishing up our I Am series, talking about the way when Jesus declared that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So um, in a minute, we're going to turn to John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible in your hands, we'd love to put one in your hands. We believe that this is God's authoritative and inspired word of God. We'd love to put it in your hands because it's living and active. So if you don't have one, put your hand up. We'd love to give you one. If you don't own one, please keep it. Um, we're going to turn to John 14 in a minute. But as, as I start... Um, I want to ask you a question. Any, any homebodies here? You're kind of a homebody. You like, you like home? All right, a few homebodies back there. Y'all are awesome. All right, but maybe, maybe you're not even a homebody. You ever had that feeling of wanting home? You know, it's like, okay, whatever you're doing has been great, but, man, I would love to be in my own bed. I'd love my own little space, right? Maybe you're uh, out camping or maybe you're out doing something or maybe you're in a hotel. And you're like, I want my own space to myself where I know everything is. I know where my food is, my own place, my own yard or whatever, my own neighborhood, my own grocery store right there, right? So whether you're a homebody or not, I, I bet you've felt before that there is no place like home in a sense, right? As I was preparing for this, I was thinking about my bachelor party before I got married. Now, for those of you guys who are wondering, I was saved when I had my bachelor party, and it did honor and glorify God. So uh, for all you guys who are just wondering, we had a, we did a, we had a blast, and it was godly, and that can happen. Um, so, you know, at the end of that, we're camping, and I'm getting married the next day, and we're out there in the campfire, and it's late, and we're up, I'm just with some of my guys at my wedding, and that's, by the way, when you do community, and you, you live in, in, in relationship with other people that you're getting real with and walking life with, it's awesome on a wedding, because you have a whole group of people around you that walked you through that journey up until that point. So I got people that I've confessed my deepest sins to, my guys here confessed my deepest sins to, spiritual fathers that walked with me, little brothers in the Lord that I've walked with, just brothers along the way. We're having a great time, and some of them are starting to go to bed. And I'm sitting there like, I'm getting married tomorrow. Why do I want to sleep my last night as a single man on the hard ground? <laughs> I don't want to be tired. Why, why would I, well, you know? And by the way, so I was in Texas at the time. Texas camping is a lot different than California. First of all, there's no mountains. Second of all, the only beach, it's not like Florida Gulf of Mexico. It's not, it's not good Gulf of Mexico. It's kind of nasty. Plus, it's like 10 p.m., and it's like 100 degrees outside, and you're still sweating because it's humid. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what am I doing camping? So I just left. I was like, man, I want to be home. My last night, my last night, you know, uh, you know, now these guys had sacrificed for me tomorrow, but this is my last night. So I'm like, I'm going to sleep and get married tomorrow. I want to be home tonight. And my best man at the wedding, he, uh, he wasn't really an outdoors guy. So he's like, praise God. I was hoping for a reason to get out of here. Let me go with you. So he came with me. Uh, man, I got some great sleep, got married the next day. And man, life is amazing. Ups and downs along the way. My wife is 
amazing. Uh, and, you know, I have discovered now that I have kids, I can go for, like, years without getting much sleep. And actually, I can accomplish a lot being delirious. That's <laughs> pretty amazing. So if you're not a parent yet, you may in the future be blessed with the, with the experience of being delirious for years on end one day. But I was awake at my wedding and doing well. But I wanted to be home, right? And, and there's something about home. You know, I've had the opportunity to travel with work, or whether it's speaking different places or mission trips around the world. And I am an adventure kind of guy, man. Get me to the craziest jungle, and we're going to tell some about Jesus and, you know, depend on plants for our food. I haven't done quite that radical. But I've done some wild stuff with Jesus. But there's no place like coming back home still, especially. I don't know if it's because I'm a parent now or because I'm getting older, but I just... I like coming home more than I like going in so many ways. You know, and there's something about home. There's something about home. When our hearts feel at home, we feel as though everything's going to be okay. When our hearts feel at home, we feel like there's something alive in us. There's something that can rest. We are where we're supposed to be. And I wonder, in our culture today, in our culture's search for things to be as comfortable and convenient as possible and yet to go on the maximum adventure as possible. If, if in our culture's incessant drive to make things as convenient as possible, and yet in our inquenchable wanderlust, and like I said, don't get me wrong, I love to be comfortable, and I love going on adventures, and I will. Uh, but I wonder if our incessant is a really a deeper search for home. A deeper search for home. Not just a physical home, but a home for the heart. A home for the heart that we can always come back to when life goes crazy or when things go up and down or the unpredictable happens or someone dies around us or when we lose our job or when, when we have to move unexpectedly. I wonder if we're deeply searching for something that we can call a heart for our home. A real home that doesn't change, an eternal home. C.S. Lewis said it like this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing else can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. And as we go to John chapter 14, this idea of a home for the heart uh, is clearly tied to what we're going to be looking at in our text today. It's the context before we read John chapter 14. Jesus now is like 48 hours away from you know, going to the cross, and he's been breaking it to his disciples that he's going to take off. He's, gonna, he's not going to be on the earth, right? He's going to ascend back to the Father, right? And just for some context, disciples in those days, or I mean, people in those days, they, they didn't like move across the country to start a new business. And it wasn't like, oh, I saw this cool thing on Instagram, so I'm going to go do this, right? They like stayed with their family, and then they took the family business, right? They, they kind of stayed around, and their life was pretty much planned out for them. And so these followers of Jesus, these disciples, they, they had done something that was very countercultural. They, they risked everything, right, to follow Jesus, this rabbi, teacher, God. They followed him, right? And, and so they're thinking, right, you think of that, man, I could have had everything at home, or I could have been this, I had the family business, and we followed this guy. Now he's saying he's leaving. And on top of that, the disciples had likely been thinking uh, that, that Jesus was coming to actually set up a political kingdom, right? All these promises of the Old Testament are often interpreted that he was coming to set up a political kingdom of this world that Jesus is basically going to overtake, right? And all of a sudden, they said, I'm actually going to die and be a martyr, and then, you know, I'll be gone. 
And so you can only imagine what these guys have given up their whole life, and all of a sudden they're getting this news broken to them. They probably feel devastated. They probably feel confused. They probably feel a little angry. They're probably trying to process because they are probably feeling like they lost home. The one thing they knew, the one constant, Jesus, miracles, amazing. You know, what an amazing experience to be with them in the flesh. This sense that they were probably at home with them, and now home is going to leave. Let's pick it up there in John chapter 14. Jesus is responding to them. Read verse 1 through 6. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I want to kind of just walk through this passage here for a minute. Jesus starts, you know, the disciples are clearly troubled, and he starts by telling them, do not be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. So I love Jesus' response to their fear of losing home is to comfort them. Now, if you think about it for a second, Jesus is about to go to the cross. I mean, the disciples probably should have been the ones comforting him, right? And I love that we have a God that, you know, when, of course, he's God, so he doesn't freak out. But when he could have, if you were in our human understanding, could have been feeling hurt. And, of course, when he was going to the cross, he felt it emotionally. He was grieving. He was processing because he was fully God and fully man. Right? In a sense, because he was still fully man, the disciples probably should have been comforting him. And we have a God about to go to his own gruesome death, and instead of getting the disciples comfort for himself, he goes and comforts the disciples. Don't you love that in our storms? God isn't looking after his good. He's obeying, right? Or he's, Jesus is obeying the Father. He's being God, but then he's comforting us. I love that. It's just a character trait of our God. I love that instead of rebuking the disciples, rebuking Thomas for his unbelief, he has compassion. And so, where's he going with that, right? And he makes this awesome promise and paints this picture for where he's going with comforting them. Because they're probably like, great, don't be troubled, believe in you, but you're going to die, right? What are you talking about? And he says this in verse 2 and 3. He said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I love that. What a promise. My Father is preparing a place in many rooms. Guys, that's not just a good idea or figment of our imagination. I believe that is true. I believe that it is real. And scripture paints a picture of heaven where there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more sadness, there'll be joy. The streets will be paved with gold. The, 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 uh, it'll be lit up, not with the sun, but it'll be lit up with the Son of God and his glory. There'll be nothing, uh, no pain, 
no sadness, but we will walk with God. We will have resurrected bodies. We will be whole. Any ailments you have, you'll be whole. You will have a place. Maybe you're in between living. Maybe even you're without a home right now. You will have a place. There's a place for you. There's a place for me. There are many rooms. There's space for people in our city that don't yet know Jesus. There's space for people. We shared testimonies about Indonesia this last week. God's saving lives. God's transforming uh, people groups. There's space for Indonesians. There's space for people from around the world. It's going to be awesome. What a promise. No matter what you're going through here today, that is good news. That is good news. And Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, little faith will bring our soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. I love that. Little faith will bring our soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to our soul. And I believe, uh, as we're going to look at the way, the truth, and life here in a minute, you know, I believe that it's a statement about Jesus being the way to heaven, the only way. We're going to talk about that. But I also believe that on this earth, we still have a home for our hearts as we're awaiting our eternal home. And I believe we're going to go to heaven, but heaven wants to invade earth and invade our hearts. And we're going to talk about that. But I want to stop at verse 4 and 5 for a minute as well. I love Thomas. He said, and, and, and Jesus said, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we did not know where you're going. <laughs> How can we know the way? Thomas, man, he's, he's just mentioned a few times in the Bible, and pretty much every time he's mentioned, it's like, I don't believe you, Jesus. <laughs> you know? It's like, how would you like to be known by your, like, worst sin? It's like, you know? Uh, so, poor Thomas, but, but I'm so thankful for Thomas, because the reality is we've all been Thomas before. We've all doubted. We've all struggled, like, what are you talking about? And the reality is, Thomas helped us out, you know? We have, you know, God, he probably would have said, I know what to do in life anyways. But I got a whole lot clearer explanation because Thomas had enough guts to ask. Because the other disciples, they were like, good word. What is he talking about? <laughs> yes, Jesus, the way, the truth, you know? Many rooms, so good, you know? And they're like, later, like, what is he actually talking about? The loaves and fish, remember that one? Like, and we don't ever get... And Thomas is like, we have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. <laughs> you're always talking like riddles and mysteries. Can you just make this a little more clear for us? So thank you, Lord, for Thomas. The essence of where Thomas is going is, you know, you said we're, we can go with, what's the way home, Jesus? What are you talking about? What's the way home? What is the way home? And Jesus responds by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. I want to talk about those three things for a minute, one by one. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. He is the way back home. He is the way to our Father. He is the way to the home for our hearts. He is the way. He is the way. I'm thankful that we have a message as Christians, and we have a reality that God didn't just come to tell us what to do or give us a list of things to change our behavior. We have a message and a reality of who our God that is unlike any other message. It is unlike any other religion. It is unlike any other, uh, any other thing out there, anything this world has to offer. 
I've had the opportunity to be around the world telling people about Jesus. And, um, I obviously honor and respect all the different people and their beliefs out there, but there is no one like Jesus. Now, the interesting thing, first of all, most religions claim to be the truth. So you can't quite have all these different truths that are all true. Something has to be true or not. And the interesting thing is most religions have this idea of um, we're here, we're not perfect, and there's some idea of eternity or some idea of an afterlife, and we need to become more perfect people so that we can enter into afterlife. I know that's an oversimplification, right? But most have this idea of, of eternity and, and something beyond this life, and we are imperfect, and we all know that as human beings. But Jesus is the only one who is fully holy, fully holy, and yet came to earth as a man. He wasn't just a God. He was the God who created the heavens and the earth. He came to earth fully God, fully man. He didn't just come to earth and do some good things and show up like, I'm Jesus. I'm amazing. You know, he, he was amazing. Uh, sorry, I didn't do it justice with my terrible thing. He didn't do it. He was amazing, but he not only that, he went to the cross. He took our sin on the cross. You guys, we can't get to God, so he came to us. And not only that, he dealt with the problem of sin by paying the consequence you and I deserve himself. Tell me what other God has ever done that. Tell me what other person has, has ever done that and yet fully been God. There, there's no other religion where God is perfectly holy and yet perfectly merciful all at the same time. He fully upholds his, his justice and his righteousness and his holiness, and yet he perfectly forgives us without sacrificing his holiness and invites us into the family. He's the only God, only religion that, that has perfect mercy and grace by which we're saved. He came to die for us. Let me say it simply like this. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're here today... You, like me, have dishonored God. We've done something, whether willfully or accidentally or all the above, and probably all the above, we've all fallen short of God's holiness and God's perfection, right? We've all made choices that we knew in our heart were wrong, and that was the Holy Spirit trying to convict you, right? That was, that was God putting a, a God-given conscience in us that we, we knew what to do, and we didn't do it still. And that separates us from God because, you see, we're here as imperfect people, and God is here as holy and perfect. And we try to get back to God different ways. We try uh, being a better person, right? And we've tried to find home out in this world, and it disappointed us, and so we try to be a better person, but nothing can get us back to a holy God because at the end of the day, we are imperfect people who have sinned, and God is holy. The only way back to God was the cross. We were here, Jesus here, and er, God is here. Jesus went to the cross to make a bridge back to the Father so we could go from here to there. The cross of Jesus where he took our sin, he rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin, is the way back to the Father. And that's what it's talking about at the end of the passage, that Jesus is the way back to the Father. There's no way to be fully forgiven from sin, and not only be forgiven, but to be made a new creation, to be cleansed, to be made whole, to be made new. There's no way other than Jesus, calling upon his name. Scripture says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. God said it's good news for you today. 
If you're here and you don't know if you have a relationship with God, let me tell you, today is a great day. Today is a great day to call on the name of Jesus and begin a relationship with him. Amen? God will forgive you. There's nothing you've done that is too much for God. He paid for it on the cross, but you need to call upon him. Our prayer team would love to lead you through that here at the end of the service and, and, and help you take the next steps. But I believe when he says the way, he doesn't just lead us to heaven, but he wants to lead us in this life. He wants to lead us in this life. You know, when we see Jesus on the earth, he didn't just come and his followers and, and give them a list of things to do and say, okay, you know, go do it. I hope it goes well. I'll be back here kind of observing and critiquing and you go do it. No, he said, he said follow me. He said, follow me. I want to I be with you. You want to know the way? I love John chapter 1. The disciples ask him, you know, hey, where are you staying? And here's Jesus' response, John chapter 1, 39. Jesus said, come and you'll see. Like, where are you going? Where are you staying, Jesus? Tell me everything. He said, come. Come, you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Jesus doesn't just give us a religion and things to do. He reconciles us back to God, and he invites us to walk with him. We get to walk with our Father. We get to follow Jesus. He wants a relationship, a living, breathing, daily relationship with you and I, where he's not just going to tell us the way. He is the way. Right? He's not just going to tell us what to do. He's going to lead us. He's going to be with us every step of the way. He wants to speak to us through his scripture and by the spirit. He wants to encourage us. He wants to give us courage. And he's going to be before, alongside, and behind all the way through the journey. He's going to be with you. He didn't just say, I showed everyone the way. Or he said, I am the way. And he wants to be with us and show us the way forward. You know, whenever our heart and our mind is not connected to him in prayer and his word. Whenever it becomes about something else other than Jesus, even a list of Christian duties, different things, it gets weird. Whenever we take something good and make it God, it gets weird. Whenever we're not having a living, breathing relationship with God, where it loses a relationship, our faith can get a little weird sometimes. Right? Just uh, an example, I was thinking that one of our good, one of our good friends, who, uh, one of our core leaders, I met him as a college student, and um, again, there's so many great secondary things to our faith and conversations we have with Christian faith, but the primary thing is a relationship with him. So I met him, I said, hey man, what, what's God doing in your life, man? He's like, I'm deeply wrestling with like Calvinism or Arminianism, and like, where do I fall? And I just wrestling, and by the way, that's an okay conversation. I've studied it, you know, relatively deeply. I got some thoughts, and he's like, so we talked about it for a little while. It was a good conversation. There's totally a place for that conversation. I could tell he was just really wrestling. I said, how's your relationship with God? Have you talked to him? Are you talking to him right now? Are you in his word? Is it speaking? But is the Holy Spirit breathing on his word and breathing life to your heart? Calvinism, Calvinism, I mean, kind of both and, you know, God's moved through it throughout history. There's aspects of truth in both, you know, that is a man-made idea. Jesus, you know, it's probably, you have those, how about Jesus? And let's talk to him, let's walk with him, let's be in his word, let's let it speak to our hearts and let's follow him. Let's ask questions along the way, let's have these conversations along the way. But whenever we're not having a living, breathing relationship with God, it gets a little funny. He said, that day changed my life. 
it changed my life. My relationship with God came alive again in a fresh way, uh, and he's one of our core leaders to this day. Even this week for him, what did that look like this week? Him being my way. I woke up. I was trying to get things done. I take Fridays off because I work all day on Sunday. I work a little bit kind of in the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, so I work on Monday. So I take, take Fridays off typically. So kind of woke up Friday morning a little anxious because I didn't quite get everything done from the week. And I just woke up weary, and honestly, my soul felt a little dry. Now, I didn't spend any time with God throughout the week, but my soul felt dry. I just felt anxious. I felt like, what's going on? Well, what I do, I did what, what I do every morning. I turn on worship music. I open the Bible. I put Jesus on the throne of my heart. I fixed my eyes on him. Peace came over him. Peace came over him. Now I was analyzing all these things. What could I do? And what's strategic to do? And a pastor, and in a sense, what I do is spiritual, right? So it's always God. But I had to talk to him. I had to gaze upon him. I had to worship him. I had to be in his truth, which is living and active. I needed a fresh dose every day. I needed to be face-to-face with him, right? And, and peace came over him. Also this week, they had an experience where one of our kids, <clears throat> kind of for the first time, had this rejection experience at school. Now our kids are young, you know, uh, preschool and first grade. And it just triggered something to me, like, from a long time ago. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take the kid's head off, right? <laughs> I didn't do anything stupid, don't worry. I'm like, give me that parent. No, I'm kidding. We prayed. We taught. But I was, like, all this stuff going on me. And all of a sudden, I wanted to be analytical and, like, what is psychology saying this? And I'm all about psychology, you know what I mean? Uh, I have a counselor I talk to sometimes. So, again, I'm, I'm starting to get all analytical. What should I do? And I'm anxious, and i got, I got to be in control of this situation. i got to protect, and mm, you better stay away from my, you know, you know, my kid. I was like, man, I'm, I'm triggered a little bit right now. I had to put Jesus back on the throne of my heart. And all of a sudden, all these things, some of which were good, you know, like let's study kids' brain and all that. Good things, man, it got put in a place when I realized God is going to be in control of our family. And we're going to point our kids to Jesus. No matter what happens, they have a Savior who's real. He's going to lead me. He's going to lead my family. He's going to lead my kids. We're going to turn to him. We're going to pray. We're going to be in his word. And we're going to get help. We need a counselor, whatever, along the way. We're all about all that. But whatever it's when Jesus and talking to him and being in his word are not the lead piece, it gets funny. Right? Y'all track with me? Man, I gotta do it. I gotta do it every day. I know if I go a few days and it's not a legalistic thing, I just need it, man. I may be weaker than you. Uh, I need it. Um, all right. So he is always the way forward. No matter where you find yourself in life, your kid is experienced in rejection. You need a financial breakthrough. You're stuck in a place of fear or anxiety. I can't always give you a formula of the way out, and I can't always say it's going to be A, B, C, or a quick fix, but I can say that I know the way. I know the way. I know the way, and it's not a formula. It's a person, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. You can always turn to him. You can always talk to him, and he'll always be there. And he holds the world in his hand. Okay, the truth. I keep moving so I can get through this. The truth. Jesus didn't just say, hey, I taught the truth when I was on earth, and now I'm going to leave. He said he is the truth. <laughs> what a bold statement, you know? He is the truth. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He's the embodiment of truth. Anything that is true in this world is a reflection of Jesus, who created this world like we see back in Genesis. You want to know what God is like? I know 
obviously we, we wrestle with questions. Who is God? We see different impressions of him throughout the scripture. And I love Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Another verse says he's the exact representation of the Father. This one says the exact representation of his nature. We want to know who our Father is. We want to know who God is. Jesus is the truth. He's the exact representation of who our Father is in heaven. I'm all for, you know, Genesis to Revelation study, but we start, who is God? We start theologically with Jesus. We start in the gospel. We start, who is it? We have a picture, living, breathing of God on the earth. We start there and then build around it. Jesus is the exact representation of God. That's amazing. And who do you think God is matters? Do you think God is a teetotaler? Kind of just back, you know, analyzing, grading your Christian life. Right? If you do that, you'll never want to, in the long run, walk with him. Because you constantly be afraid. Do you think he's just your homeboy? Is Jesus just my homeboy? Because if he's only my homeboy, I'll never take sin seriously and hate sin. If I think he's just distant, I don't believe he came to the earth, I don't believe God would be a God to come to the earth, then I believe he's, he's distant and isn't engaged in my life. But we see who God is, we relate to him rightly because who he is in his word. Jesus is the truth, he's the exact representation of God. Love John 1, 14, it says, Jesus, uh, the son of man who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Who is God? He's full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. You see, we need truth in our life. We need the person who is truth in our life. We need the truth, the hard truths at times. Truth lets us know what sin is in our life. Without his word, without God being a convictor of sin, we'd never be free from our sin. Without a conviction of right and wrong and what is true and right in this world that has no black and whites, without a God who makes some black and white statements, we would never be saved. We would be stuck and live our own way and ultimately be separated from him who is life, which we'll talk about in a minute. Truth is the beginning of setting us free, and when we're convicted by truth, the truth of grace is equally important because it liberates us from our sin. Man, no matter what you've done today, you need the, the reality of truth, the conviction of what is right and wrong, and we need the truth of grace just as much. And when grace and truth go together, it's not one or the other or half of each. God is fully truth. He's fully grace. We need the truth of truth and the truth of grace alongside one another in our life. That is the gospel. That is the good news. He's fully holy. He fully does not accept our own ways where we, we, we willfully sin, and yet he fully accepts us through grace and empowers us to live free from sin. That's amazing. That is truth that will give us to heaven, and it's also truth that we can build our lives around. Man, truth is powerful. Truth is powerful. Where you don't have truth active in your life, you will get stuck and stay stuck. We have truth. Romans 12, 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to take this word. We need to take this and renew our minds with it. We need it in our mind. We need it in our heart. We need it alive in our lives. And you know what truth has the power to do? When you believe it and renew your mind around it, you get transformed. There's all kinds of bad doctrine. 
desires, some good things out there that will help you. But Jesus will transform you. And you know how he does it? Truth. He does it by being the truth. By being truth in your life. Truth has the ability to introduce you to who God is. Truth has the ability to destroy whatever false pictures you have of God because of a broken family growing up. Truth has the ability to build you up. Truth has the ability to restore you. Truth has the ability to demolish the power of lies in your life. Truth has the ability to set us free. But we need to believe in a restore mind or not. I want to ask you like that. What place does truth have in your life? So often we're surrounded by truth, but not necessarily building our lives on it. So often we carry a Bible to church, but we don't believe what it says and hide it in our hearts. It's like Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave this analogy, and he's talking about truth. And he said, there's two people, both built houses. Both had a storm come. One built their house on a sand. When the storm came and the rain came, the house got washed away. The other guy builds his house on a rock. Both houses, both storms, but when the storm came, when life happened, when life hit, he said, it remained because it, it was built on a rock. Those that build on the sand are like those who hear my word but don't apply it or obey it in their lives. Jesus said that those who hear his word and believe it and apply it in their lives are like those that build their house on a rock. Guys, we are fragile humans, but God can give us an indestructible life when we build on the truth. God can give us an indestructible life. Life may be hard. Life, you may have worry, you may have doubt, you may have fear. Things might happen. I'm not going to promise life is easy, but we can be indestructible as frail human beings on this earth when we build our lives from the truth of who God is. We can all hear the truth, both heard the truth, both build houses, both have stories. That's how we respond to it. So we ask you to lean into the truth. Right? We can't love God who is truth and not allow truth to speak to the deepest parts of who we are. To encourage the truth by your life? Do you believe that Jesus said you're a new creation? Do you believe that you're a beloved child of God? Do you believe and lean in to the word which says that God will be with you wherever you go? He'll never leave or forsake you. Sometimes like, oh, I don't need the encouragement anybody. No, we need that. We need to believe it. We need to be filled with it. We can be correct. We need this encouragement. Do you lean into it? And do you lean into his heart truth? Equally the same. Do you search the scriptures to become not only more happy, but also more holy? To be more like God? Do you invite people in your life to ask you the hard questions? My life has been changed, not by people saying, hey, like, how can I pray for you, brother? But people ask, did you tell me half truths this week? Did you go to that website you said you weren't going to go to? Hey, uh, are you believing about yourself what God says? Are you going to do it your own way? invite feedback into our life. We need the encouraging truth of the word. We need the hard truth of the word and truth of the community. And when we embrace the truth, we have amazing promise. He said this, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't just say hearing it in pastoral sister, but when we know it, when we believe it, when we embrace it, when it has a place in our lives, when we put it first and put 
them on the throne, and it'll just Amen. All right. Lastly, the life around this stamp. This is a big statement. He said, I am the life. I am the life. There's people out there that make different statements. I know Kanye West has said some interesting things about himself. I don't even recall all they are. I don't think anyone, when they, when they, uh, our team's laughing at me because you're talking about Kanye West. Worship team. Love you. No one, when they heard Kanye West talking about whatever he said, I don't remember what he said. No one's like, I think he's right. I'm not going to go to church this week because Kanye, this guy. Bless Kanye, Lord, save him. But if someone makes a claim that they are life, not like I am life, kind of fun, or like, or like I, I have life in me. No, I am like, you look at him like, what's up? You know, just like John was saying, if someone claims to be the light of the world, when he preached to you, he's going to be like, kill. Like, you know, like, I am light, you know? Okay, we are light, let's like, get that. All right, y'all get it. <laughs> I could be like, that is a scripture, isn't it? it is. Y'all know what I'm saying. All right. He made a big statement. And a couple things I want to say. First, I want to let me just give a quick biblical view of this. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat that, you will surely die. What is God talking about? Was it poisonous fruit in the garden? No. It was this. That God's presence, where God is, is life. Why was eating and disobeying God death? It wasn't poisonous. We're going to physically die. It's because wherever God's presence is, that is life. He is life. And a disobeyed God means we get separated from God and we get separated um, from life. So Psalm 1611, you make known to be the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I know that Satan will try and convince us that we can do whatever we want and not experience death. Yes, we did Genesis 3. He said, surely you're not going to die because the fruit is fruit. It's good. Look at it. It's good. And, you know, and, and they're thinking it's good for eating. You know, he's right. But, you know, he will trick you to say, you don't have to go to God for life. Like, look all around you. And sometimes it's blatant thing. We know what you mean. You know, blasted. Being on some drugs, hooking up with people, just being on trash in our life. Been stuck in that kind of sin for long enough, you know, all the dividends don't work, it doesn't pay off that well in your life. That was me. I was, I was drugging, hooking up, doing that. It was a life of the party, literally. You know, I was trying to be life. We'd show up with SUVs of $1,000 at alcohol to a party. The party started weekend, and I thought I was awesome. I'm the life of the party. Then I got saved. I found a huge life of the party. And we get we have a living active word and we got a Holy Ghost party with Jesus. Come on. Hey man, I was trying to build the coolest story for myself. I was trying to be the life of the party. I was trying to I don't know what your story is that you tend to write when you're not trying to go. I get to be with the Father who made the heavens and the earth. I got the best dad in the whole world. I could change history by obeying Jesus. That's pretty stinking awesome. I gotta write it'll last. It's going to matter. I mean, in heaven, I'm like, whoa, those dollars alcohol. That's pretty cool. No, I'm going to be a part of the best story being written. We're at the forefront of what God is doing on the earth. We're at the forefront of it. 
best life, man. It's him being with him, doing what he's doing. That's exciting. Welcome to church. That's what we do every time. We don't just come to church to just go through emotions. We come because God is life, and we're on a mission that, that is bringing life to people. Right? But it may be good things. It may be, you know, some of the blatant things that we try to deceive in life, but sometimes when we make good things into God things and expect them to bring us life for the long run, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like I said earlier, whatever we make into God, whether that's even community, right? If community becomes God, it doesn't work that well for time. If, if church or whatever, all these different good things in life, these different, even social justice, we're going to talk about social justice in a few weeks, but all these different things that could, if they become God, it doesn't work. God reflects these. God reflects community. He's a trinity. God reflects justice. He is justice, right? But we need him to be God, and he is life. We're going to this game, the game of life. You remember that? The game of life, the game developed years ago, and it has different milestones in your life. Um, you know, you get a college degree, maybe you can make a choice if you do or not, and then you can get married and have kids, and you collect these different life points if you have married and kids, and you're basically trying to like make the most money as possible. It kind of prescripts this life, and the goal of the game is to get as many life points, you know, to have the perfect family and to make as much money as possible. Whoever ends with the most life points and money wins the game. Now, you know, I'm not totally banging on the game, but I think it's like this template between God and my whole secret sentence in the church. Well, I'm not into my crazy life anymore, so I'm going to worship family now that I'm a Christian. I'm going to worship uh, working hard and providing now that I'm a Christian, right? We make these, like, still things in the gods that just look nice and expect them to have life, and then when our life falls apart, we wonder, I thought I was living the Christian life. Where are you going to fly? You'll be making good things into God things that will never ultimately satisfy Maybe some of us are going to the things that we know we shouldn't be doing to find life. And he's saying, I have life. He is life. He said, will you come to me? Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. If you're going to life elsewhere, God is not standing here condemning you today, saying, you're messed up, you're toast. He's open arms saying, would you come back to the source? Would you come back and eat and drink of me? Would you have your fill and your love again? That's what happened to me last Friday. I was tired. I was trying to get everything done in my life. I'm trying to do it in my own strength. And I had to come back to God's life and say, God, I've been trying to get everything done. You are my life. Today, throughout the day, Jesus wants to satisfy the deepest places of your soul. God wants to bring truth that will set you free. And Jesus wants to be the way forward. You may not think there is a way. 